Welcome to the Radical Departures podcast, your source for startup storytelling. We're your hosts, Abby and Chris. You'll hear informative discussions full of valuable expertise and actionable insight on the issues you face when launching and growing your startup. Today, we're here in the studio with Leo Vesperini. My name is Leo Vesperini, and I'm a publisher. My company is called Mythic Games. And the first Kickstarter that we launched was Mythic Battles Pantheon that was launched last year, almost one year exactly. And it raised $2.7 million plus another $1.3 million during the Kickstarter. So these are big numbers, but it's just to give an idea of uh, the kind of business we do, even though it's board games, so it's like toy soldiers. <laughs> but yes, it can raise money. That's and it really was... <laughs> impressive. I mean, that's an impressive. I think a lot of tech startups yeah. would like to raise that kind of money. That's cool. And so thanks to this success, we can now uh, launch a new one, which is called Time of Legends, Joan of Arc. It will go to Kickstarter on October 10th. And uh, yes, it's a very exciting project. And Mythic Battles will be delivered to backers by the end of the year. We are on time, which makes it us confident that we'll be also on time for the next one, for Joan of Arc. Leo, how did you get into this space as somebody that is new to this whole area of board games and tabletop games? It's a whole new world for me. Sure. Well, it's a long story, but I've been involved in games for a long time. I've been editor-in-chief for over 15 years for different magazines. I even had my own publishing company and I still own magazines. I've stepped away now because I'm all completely focused on game publishing. But before that, I was involved in that. So that means I've been working in this industry for a very long time and I have a big network. I know all the publishers, all the artists, many, many game designers, many sculptors. So this all came from there. And during a convention that I attended, I met a game designer who was beginning. He was at, at his very beginning, but we got along well. His name is Frédéric Henry. And he and I really got along and we had some ideas and we started talking about what would be the game of our dreams. And this is how it it all started. We said, okay, well, it sounds very exciting. Why don't we do it? It'll take the time it takes no matter what, but let's do what we really would love to do. And the game was Conan. At that time, we didn't know whether we would publish it with my own company or with a new company. And it took some time. So it was Conan. And because I, I was editor-in-chief of a magazine called Ravage, I thought, well, we need to do miniatures with that. And we knew it would be costly. So we didn't know exactly how we would publish it. And then came along Kickstarter. Well, Kickstarter started having uh, publishing Zombicide, which was a big success. And then we said, oh, okay, well, we'll go through Kickstarter. This is how it started. And uh, at that time, Fred Henry created his own company. I wasn't part of it because I had my own company. I was trying to figure out what I would do. So it was published through a company called Monolith. I just received some royalties. We didn't anticipate it would be such a huge success. It raised $3.3 million during the Kickstarter. At that time, that was the record, the biggest mm. Kickstarter ever at that time. It's been broken. The record has been broken since. But at that time, it was the highest grossing Kickstarter ever. Thanks to that, I said, okay, well... I was editor-in-chief of Paper Magazine, which was becoming more and more difficult because of the internet and all the, uh, the, the new ways people now get the information from. So I said, 
I'm going to step away and create my own company because I wasn't part of Monolith. And so I created a new company called Mythic Games and I started working on a new project with another game author who is my partner on Mythic Games. His name is Benoit Vogt. And we started creating a new game. Actually, Benoit had published an old board games called Mythic Battles, not Mythic Battles Pantheon, which had no miniatures. And I had reviewed that game and I really remembered it and I thought it was a great game mechanics, but I thought I regret it uh, back at the time that it hadn't been done with miniatures. I thought it would have been a way stronger product and it's what people anticipated. So we said, let's do what we did on Conan, but on Mythic Battles. This is how it started. And shortly after we started communicating about this new project that we would go, we would do on our own, Monolith came back to us and said, don't you want to partner on Mythic Battles? We will bring you more money so that we can do something even better. And we will just join uh, our two expertise teams. And this is how it, it started. So Mythic Battles was co-published by Mythic Games and Monolith just last year. And after that, I had another project on uh, that we wanted to do, which is Joan of Arc. And this time it's going to be the first time that we publish it just ourselves, uh, just Mythic Games. Now, what did you get? I want to get to Joan of Arc because I think that's you have another very cool story about that. When you did the partnership, though, with Monolith, what kind of positive things did that bring you? Well, first, money, because Conan was a huge success. So Monolith had a lot of funds. And instead of doing a small game, a small scope game like we were thinking of doing to start with on Mythic Games, uh, having Monolith with us allowed us to have like to aim higher, right? Because they paid for everything. The partnership was like this. Uh, Mythic Games, our team, would do all the development, the art direction, the communication, and they would do all the production. They will pay for everything. And then during production, because they had the experience with Conan, Conan had been late. It was so huge that uh, we didn't deliver it on time. There were many unexpected uh, things that happened and we had to develop a lot of expansions because the game was so successful and we were late. So we used that experience on Mythic Battles Pantheon and Mythic Battles Pantheon is not going to be late. So this is what this partnership brought us. The awareness because of monolith success, the money, the experience in production, and we could focus purely on developing the game mechanics and doing the communication. So I think it was a good partnership. But then monolith has their own games. They are going to develop some other games. And we wanted also to do our own games. And thanks to the money we got from uh, Mythic uh, Battles, we could invest almost everything in the new game. And this is how Joan of Arc is uh, now coming. Now, in, in this version of Joan of Arc, big question here. Did the English finally win the Hundred Years' War, or are they going to lose it again? I just want to make this point clear, because there's always a mystery. The English always seem to think that they are just knocking things out of the park with the Hundred Years' War, but they lose every time. Am I right, or am I? I'm a foreigner. I mean, I have an Irish passport and an American passport, so I'm not... You know, I'm not English. Maybe I have my history wrong. Do they lose? <laughs> well, the funny thing with the Hundred Years' War, it's true that the English won a lot of iconic battles. And so when people mention the, the most famous battles, it's usually battles that were won by the English. And it will still be the case in this game because we wanted to stay close to history. You will be able to reenact, to relive, or to replay the famous historical battles during this Hundred Years' 
scope because it it lasted 116 years. I think something like that. It was really, really a very, very long conflict. Although sometimes there were, you know, peace and truce. But history will not change with this game. So tell us about you're going to be launching another Kickstarter for this. How much money will you be targeting for this? We are, our target is $100,000. Mm-hmm. We will launch it in dollars. Well, Mythic Games is Luxembourg-based company. We have offices in Paris, and we also have offices in the U.S., in Newark. And we will soon open an office in uh, northern England, Walls End, near Newcastle. We want to be very multicultural. And actually, people who work in the company come from all over the place. We have a Polish sculptor. We have an English. We have people from Luxembourg. Actually, we have a sculptor from Luxembourg. All right. Really. And we have Americans, of course, and French. We like that. It seems to me that this type of board games and tabletop games, they're a lot more popular in Europe, in France, in Germany, in the UK, they're much bigger than in the US as a percentage of the population. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. The US market is still the biggest market. But it's true when you look at the figures we had for Mythic Battles. For Mythic Battles, I think we had 7,000 American backers and we have three and a half thousand backers from France. So almost right. half. And France is not half the population of no. the, the US. Right. So that means you're right. Games are very, very popular in Europe. France especially is the number one market probably. It used to be Germany. Now I think it's France. England and Germany are strong markets as well. The US is still a strong market, but It's not as big as here. Uh, Here, board games have become immensely popular, even though people play video games also. But in these uh, troubled times, people want to share moments with friends. And this is very, very casual and friendly. You sit around a table, you exchange. It's not like uh, you're not in front of a computer screen and just doing your thing on your own. So it's become, even though they play video games, they play more and more uh, board games and games in general. And so you sit around the table, everybody has fun. It's a very sociable event. Very sociable event. Extremely sociable, yeah. And now it's also something that you can own. You're proud to own your board game because they've become more and more beautiful. You have right. beautiful art. I showed you some of the art and the, yeah, uh, and the really trailer. Nice. They're so Incredible. detailed, yeah. yeah. You can have like these beautifully sculpted miniatures with crispy details and it's very immersive. So there's something in this digital world where you don't own anything. You're proud to have these beautiful minis that you can paint. You can put a lot of yourself uh, in it. And so this is a trend and an expected trend, but this is what really happened uh, lately. Do you want to talk about Kickstarter? Sure. Kickstarter is a big change in this industry. Before Kickstarter came along, the traditional distribution was king. You know, all the games you could buy were through traditional network, well, through retail, which means you have a lot of margins that go for the distributor and then for the store. And so you could only have some kind of games. You couldn't be go crazy like we did. Now with Kickstarter, people can buy directly games that are not even finished or not even produced. And so they can participate and say, well, we would like this to happen. And because we're still in the process of making them, we can do that. Because we don't have to give margins to distributor or to the store, we can make bigger games at the same price. Uh, Actually, you would never be able to have the kind of products that we sell through Kickstarter on traditional retail. 
this is a big change now people who really love these kind of games like high scope games with tons of material and go through kickstarter for joan of arc will be 120 dollars just in the core box before you speak on of any stretch goals you will have over 250 miniatures including big 3d terrains like churches houses trees rocks and uh, plus monsters big monsters plus all uh, dozens of knights and uh, bowmen and uh, crossbowmen and archers pikemen and halberdiers and uh, tons and tons of material for just 120 bucks it would not be possible in retail what also kickstarter allows is the more people come and buy the game the bigger your game will be because here's how it works we will fund at $100,000. But if we go further than that, like every time we reach a new stretch goal limit, like 120K for another 20K, we will add something to the game. And this is how we ended up going to $2.7 million on Mythic Battles. And we added another 100 or 120 or 140 new miniatures. So this could happen with Joan of Arc. If we're successful, that means people want to talk about it and they will speak on it about it on the social media, on Facebook, on their blogs and on their on Twitter. And in the end, it's one month show because the campaign lasts one month and all the, uh, the passionate and the excited gamers will talk about it. We'll do some live shows during the campaign to show them exclusive things that could happen. Right. We will exchange with them. So it's a big experience and they are part of it. All the, the customers are part of this experience. How do you, that's actually a really interesting idea. Do you do that using Facebook or Twitter or something? How do you do those kind of exchanges? We do in many ways. We can do it through Kickstarter. For Mythic Battles, it was the first time that they introduced the Kickstarter Live. Kickstarter Live, that means everybody who's bought the game, who are part of this project, will receive an email if we go live and mm. we'll tell, okay, Leo, because it's me usually, they called it the Leo Live. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would go live and I can see their questions coming as we speak. And so I can just wave at them. Sometimes they will send me animated pictures with uh, things. And so we talk and uh, answer their questions and it's been almost daily meeting or every other day meeting where they can talk to me and I will answer them and I will tell them what will come next. We do it on Kickstarter, but we also do it on Facebook. We have a Facebook page for Time of Legends, Joan of Arc, and I do lives there. And usually they're very popular. Sometimes we have uh, over 17,000 views, and wow. uh, which is great. And now we also have Twitter, so I will also do it on Twitter. But yes, this is how we, we work. We really want to be close. I want to be close to our customers. I want to make them feel as part of this project. I want them to tell us what they like, what they expect, what would really make them happy. And if we can do it, if it's still time, and we will do it. That's really cool. I mean, that, it's extremely innovative. It's an interesting way to use technology to build the hype, to build your customer base. And, and also and to interact. To interact with people yeah. to get good feedback. I mean, that's, I think that's pretty exciting. The goal is to build something people want. So asking Absolutely. them what they want is, yeah. Yes, yes. That's and perfect. it's actually possible. We have one month to exchange and we'll see. And it's also a show because there will be some expansions and they don't know what the expansions will be. They have mm. some pretty ideas because we teased of course, everybody knows about the dragon. <laughs> uh, but the dragon will be there from day one. But there will be some other expansions. And sometimes we tease them and 
it's like they see the story evolving. They see, okay, who is the next character that will appear as a stretch goal? What will be the next expansion? And it could be very thematic. And so it's like they are following a story, like a TV show. It will tell a story. It will. They will see some aspects of the game that they don't know yeah. before the game uh, comes live. In France, the French are very hard on themselves and sometimes unnecessarily because I think France does a lot of wonderful things. And this, though, is a great example. You've done something. It's technical. It's a different kind of technical, but you're making a very technical game. It's technical products. And you're marketing it in an extremely innovative way to the world. And you are living proof that France can really sell other things quite well in a very fun, interactive, innovative way. It's really cool. Well, thank you very much. It's first because it's done with passion. And you're right, French can have passion. You're right. Sometimes French are very hard on themselves. They always complain uh, things are not good. And you're right. This is something that the French are good at. They're good at, for instance, sculpting. You know, we have the best sculptors, world-class artists. And this is one of, of the examples. But yeah. it's also a lot of work. We have a big team. We work like days and nights on this. And it's a way of using uh, this technology, uh, as you said. And we've worked on every single detail, including the trailer that you guys saw. What the did trailer you think of was the trailer? really awesome. It's incredible. The animation is fantastic. Yeah. The artwork is fantastic. It's, yeah, it's pretty special. <laughs> thank you for giving us a first look oh, at it. Oh, well, thank <laughs> yeah. you for receiving me here. That's very, very nice. And so we worked on every single detail. And of course, you need passion. You need a little a bit of talent. And we hired the talents. But then you need a lot of work also. And this is what we've done. It's not just, uh, okay, let's do that as a hobby and it will work. Yeah. So what's it been like to open this, create it as a business and then have it in all these parts of the world? How is that to manage? What are some of the challenges that you well, faced? Well, this is the good thing of uh, today's world. <laughs> we do a lot of Skype sessions. We are constantly communicating and we are going to open bigger offices. But we sometimes what we want to do is gather because we just don't want only to communicate uh, through a screen, but we want to meet each other and play and celebrate. We do that, but it's true that today's technology, it's very easy to work with people from all over the place, all over the world, actually. Have you faced any major challenges in opening in the U.S. or elsewhere in the world? It's becoming easier and easier, I'd say. It's not as challenging as I thought it would be. For instance, Joan of Arc is our first Mythic Games purely product. We are going to launch it through Mythic Games, and we wanted to launch it in dollars, simply because Americans, for some of them, feel more secure uh, paying in dollars instead of euros. And uh, even internationally, people are, feel it's safer with dollars. Don't ask me why, but it's the case. It's uh, a matter of 30% more that you can do if you sell in dollars rather than in right. euros. So we wanted to open an office in the U.S., and it turned out to be faster than we thought. And because we were also successful with Mythic Battles, we got contacted by Kickstarter owner, well, the, uh, the head of games at Kickstarter. He visited us. He came to our studio. We had a dinner with him. We are in touch and they love what we do and uh, they will also support us. And he gave us some advices or where we should base our, how we should create our accounts, our bank accounts and many details like that. And it went, it was easier than we thought it would be. Yeah, yeah that's helpful. 
Yeah, I'm sure they like you guys if you're... Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah well, they make them. money out yeah. of uh, <laughs> products launched on Kickstarter. But he's a great guy. He's full of passion. His name is Luke Crane, and we've met him several times. And he's really passionate about that. He tried our games and oh, yeah? he loved them. Yes. He's also a game creator himself. Okay. He, created, he designed some role-playing games, uh, very, very good ones. And uh, yes, he's all into games and he's so of course he's a businessman and he is he's been developing kickstarter a lot well the gaming section is board game section is the biggest on kickstarter even before uh, video games kickstarter has been developing a lot i think it was 120 million dollars turnover last year wow. so that's huge kickstarter gains six percent or five or six percent on each project and then they have partnered with stripe for mm -hmm. money and they also make five percent so when you go on Kickstarter, you give 10% of your grossing to them. What do you see next? What's next for Mythic Games? Well, of course, the next two steps are October 10th, 9 p.m. French time. I think it's 2 p.m. for uh, Eastern American coast time. 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Oh, yes, you're right. <laughs> 3 p.m. <laughs> Let's not make mistakes on that. It's 9 p.m. in France. So this will be the next step for one month, uh, October 10th till November 10th. And then, then the, the big step will be people will start receiving their Mythic Battles uh, pledge, uh, all their games, probably in December. And then we will work, of course, on our next uh, Kickstarter. We usually don't communicate really too much on what will come next because we want people to be focused on the upcoming thing. Right, right. But yes, we have a game uh, that has been developed for two years. Usually it's the time it takes. It takes two years to develop a board game like this. So that means doing all the, the artwork, all the sculpt, uh, the rules, the playtesting and the, the demo, the marketing, everything. It's a two-year process. So this will probably and hopefully go on Kickstarter. Well, you're the first uh, people I tell this, <laughs> probably in May or June 2018. Busy times ahead. Yes, <laughs> yes. Will any English people ask you, like, can they pay extra money to make sure the English win the Hundred Years' War, or is that like a non-starter? Well, if, if they pay a lot, possibly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can change history for another million or two. <laughs> history is fluid. <laughs> Well, Leo, thank you very much. Thank we you, really Chris. appreciate your time. <laughs> thank you, Abby. That was very, very nice of you to, to invite me over. <laughs> Best of luck for the Kickstarter. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of the Radical Departures podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and join us next time on Radical Departures. Radical Departures.